This edition of Beyond the Bell is brought to you by Barbershop Window, the place that is making wrestling t-shirts cool again to wear. Welcome to the podcast that takes you back in time to rewind and relive all things nostalgia in the world of professional wrestling. Get ready to go Beyond the Bell. Beyond the Bell. With your host, ring announcer, Sean Beckerman. Every year, World Championship Wrestling would throw a bash featuring the biggest stars in the promotion. I'm talking about the Great American Bash. On this edition of Beyond the Bell, your pro wrestling nostalgia podcast, we cover the history of this historic event. So historic that it was the only pay-per-view event that the WWE would bring over to its schedule. I'm your old-school host, independent ring announcer Sean Beckerman, and on this installment, we will cover the first-ever bash event, some of the greatest moments in American bash history, and we'll break down, arguably, the greatest match in bash history. All this and more, after this quick break, we kick it all off by reliving the very first first ever Great American Bash event. Fight TV is the app that lets you enjoy mixed martial arts, professional wrestling, boxing, and traditional martial arts right on the screen of your TV when you want to and where you want to. Fight is based on Flips Media's unique cloud to tv streaming technology which works with over 350 million connected tvs and 7,000 manufacturer models the technology requires no boxes cables or tv applications fight tv is born out of the passion for fighting sports as well as the frustration of huddling over the small screen at Fight TV, they believe that watching fighting shows or combat sports on the big screen of your TV or your friend's TVs or any TV that's connected to Wi-Fi should be as simple as switching the TV channel. So check out Fight TV, the cross-section of entertainment and technology. Just open the app and it will automatically connect with your smart TV. All you need to do is choose a video and press play. The Fight TV app is your home for everything that happens in the cage, on the mat, and between the ropes. Download the Fight TV app for free from iTunes and Google Play. Welcome back to Beyond the Bell. The first Great American Bash took place in 1985 and was promoted by Jim Crockett of the NWA. The next two years featured the event as part of a tour and some of the shows even featured country music concerts as part of the festivities. In 1988, the show went to pay-per-view and was also the first non-WWE pay-per-view event that was not messed up 
by Vince McMahon's cutthroat business tactics. The 1989 show was generally regarded as the best non-WWE pay-per-view event ever, and the 1991 edition was considered one of the worst wrestling shows ever. Both ends of the spectrum there. The event took a hiatus in 93 and 94, but then returned in 95. When it returned, the show lost its sense of importance when the company's number one star, Hulk Hogan, did not appear on it until 1998. After WCW went out of business in 2001, none of their pay-per-view event names were ever seen again until the Great American Bash returned in 2004. Then, in 2009, the WWE renamed the event The Bash due to the international presence the global phenomenon that WWE is, they didn't want to quote-unquote pigeonhole themselves under the great American name since they were now an international global organization. First off, let's discuss the three, arguably the three best great American bash events. First off, 1989. Due to the popularity of the feedback I received, the bash from 89 was considered one of the greatest events ever. The show featured an incredible card from top to bottom with a mix of established veterans and superstars, wrestlers who were to be the future of the sport, future main eventers. A great combo of stars in which we'll discuss great moments from that event tonight. In 1986, The Bash was a unique series of events that all featured parts of the general storylines at the time for the NWA, all culminating or leading ahead to an explosive event that year in 86 at the Bash. Ric Flair was scheduled to defend his title at all the events because it was now a tour at this point against all of the top contenders, but lost the next-to-last match against Dusty Rhodes. Many of the events were held at outdoor stadiums and featured country music concerts before the wrestling even began. 1987 was similar in style to the 86 Bash, but featured the first and second ever War Games match. Most of the events were made evented with some form of feud between the Four Horsemen and the faction of Dusty Rhodes, Nikita Koloff, and the Road Warriors. Some say the worst Great American Bash ever was 1991, like we discussed at the top of our program. The show was famous for the We Want Flair chants. The crowd was screaming because of Ric Flair's recent firing at the time when he was headed to the World Wrestling Federation. Let's rewind back and discuss, relive, the first ever NWA Great American Bash event. 32,000 spectators. The gladiators have journeyed by air. On foot. And carried by chariots made from steel. To be part of the history of wrestling's greatest moment. Jim Crockett Promotions, Ringmasters. The Great American Bash. Hi, and welcome to Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Ringmasters, The Great American Bash. I'm Gordon Soley, your host, and for the next 60 minutes, you're going to have a ringside seat at one of the most exciting wrestling cards ever presented. 
Joining me for this hour of action is the senior editor for Pro Wrestling Illustrated, my friend Bill Apter. Well, thank you very much, Gordon, and hello, everyone. The Great American Bash proved to be the highlight of Jim Crockett Promotions' golden anniversary celebration. It has often been said that World War III would be fought with nuclear weapons, with the end result being nothing standing and no one surviving. Well, on this particular night, 32,000 individuals would witness the nearest thing to that kind of devastation and destruction minus nuclear fallout. It was over 25 years ago that we saw Dusty Rhodes create the Great American Bash for the NWA and Jim Crockett Promotions. Vince McMahon was not the only one to take big risks on big shows. Jim Crockett Promotions and Dusty Rhodes may have bit off more than they could chew with the first bash event on July 6th of 1985. In 1984, Dusty Rhodes made one of the biggest jumps in pro wrestling history. Rhodes jumped as Booker of Eddie Graham's Florida Championship Wrestling into the same seat within Jim Crockett's Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling. Would a new audience and a new clientele eat up Rhodes' crazy angles and superhero babyfaces like the fans in Florida? Rhodes was one of the most successful territorial bookers in the business at this point in time. Rhodes likes to take credit for the first pro wrestling super show ever. Rhodes brought this idea to life with such extravaganzas as Battle of the Belts and Lord of the Ring at the Orange Bowl. One of Rhodes' first orders of business was to take this idea to a bigger stage, to take it to an even bigger level. The Great American Bash was born. Rhodes wanted to bring the same stadium concept to a bigger stage. Florida was a territory while Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling was making a national presence due to its WTBS programming. Rhodes cherry-picked the best of the territories, booking a true supercard of pro wrestling. Rhodes' gambling didn't just end with the show itself. Rhodes took an equally big gamble on the main event. He took a virtual rookie and entrusted him with the biggest main event of Rhodes' tenure as Booker. He took Nikita Koloff with only a year in the business and put him in the main event against the NWA World Heavyweight Champion. This was a move that would have had the internet buzzing with controversy if it were done in 2013. A big part of the first Great American Bash was the pro wrestling magazines. Cable television was still in its infancy stages, unable to gain access to the top dog at the time, the WWF. The magazines were happy to devote coverage to the territories. Wrestlers like the Road Warriors, Magnum TA, Ric Flair, Dusty Rhodes, Jerry Lawler, the Freebirds, Kamala, and others were almost mythical to readers who never got the chance to see them in their towns. It should be to no surprise that Pro Wrestling Illustrated was a big investor in the first Great American Bash. Pro Wrestling Illustrated sponsored a remaster's VHS video release of the event. The video was heavily promoted for years in their sister publications and was the only way for most fans around the country to see their favorite stars in action that they have only really read about. The event was a huge success. The stadium drew 27,000 with an estimated live gate of over 300,000. If you take inflation into account, 
that is a tremendous gate for a relatively small promotion. You can also state that they made hundreds of thousands of dollars on video sales in addition to that live gate. Merchandise was also sold, so this was a juggernaut of a money-making extravaganza. The show was built around Akita Koloff versus Ric Flair for the NWA world title. Flair was a tweener, you could say, at the time, which means he would play dual babyface and heel depending upon where he would wrestle. He traveled all around the world, hence being the true world heavyweight champion. In the Carolinas, Flair was coming off a feud with the popular, super over Magnum TA. Koloff clotheslined announcer and Flair friend David Crockett to turn Flair completely babyface. The match itself was quite a spectacle. The ripped-up, muscle-bound Koloff promising to take the title back to Russia against the blonde-haired, cocky, arrogant champion. Koloff talked quite a bit about the match and the event on many radio shows, promoting this as one of the biggest events ever. The introductions of the match were probably more memorable than even the match itself. Flair entered the stadium via helicopter, with one of the greatest entrances of all time. Flair pinned Koloff to retain the title to send the crowd home happy. Dusty booked himself in the closing match of the show against Tully Blanchard in a steel cage match. Tully was accompanied by Baby Doll and J.J. Dillon. Rhodes pinned Blanchard to win the NWA television title and the services of Baby Doll in respect. Those services would end, though, when Baby Doll rode off on one of Rhodes' horses in a classic television segment. Of course, Dusty has to book himself in the last match of the big event, right? For the television title taking precedence over the World Heavyweight Championship. Of course. In another match of note, the Road Warriors came to town for one of their first appearances in Jim Crockett promotions. Dusty followed his successful title versus title formula and booked the AWA Tag Team Champions, the Road Warriors, against the NWA Tag Team Champions, the Russians. The Road Warriors fought Crusher Khrushchev and Ivan Koloff to a double disqualification. Dusty would take the bash on the road to stadiums around the country the next year. Rhodes turned the bash into a summer touring series, which proved to be disastrous at the box office. The Bash would move into arenas the following year and rebound with the War Games. The Bash would never return to its roots after 87 with stadium shows. The first Great American Bash deserves recognition for one of the gutsiest and innovative shows in professional wrestling history. It is fair to argue whether Vince McMahon would have had the same ambitions for WrestleMania without the first ever Great American Bash. The stage was set for international diplomacy in the squared circle. Let's witness a piece of wrestling history now as Nikita Koloff's Road to Moscow crosses paths with Ric Flair's Freedom Challenge. Special referee assigned to this match, David Crockett. David became involved when he was attacked viciously in front of television cameras by Nikita Koloff. David thus agreed to become the special referee. And promises that this will be a fair match. I'm sure the co-ops have something else in mind. It's obvious that the power is with Nikita. Flair now. Pulling on Nikita. Elba. 
fighting like a man possessed. Nikita picks him up. There. He falls on it. David for the kill. Decision, but it's final. Stop. All right. Yep. Stops away at David Crockett. We're going to get an announcement from the ring announcer. Fans, please stay clear of the ring. Please stay clear of the ring. Okay, they want the fans to stay clear of the ring. Obviously, it's Bedlam in the ring. The fans excited that Flair is still the world heavyweight champion. And now they pick him up. It's the Russian signal. Ivan had held Flair up. And now stops away. Sam Houston comes in to try to calm the situation. It's absolute pandemonium. As Nikita throws away Houston. And now other wrestlers join in to try to get the call off of the world champion. They'll have none of it though. It's obvious now they are trying to injure Flair even more. Maybe to try to put him out of wrestling. Where will it stop? Who can stop him? Let us remind you, Flair is the champion. He has won this match, but watch here. My goodness. You can see that. As Nikita started across the ring with the Russian sickle. Down Flair. Down onto the ground, right below the ring. There you see some of the wrestlers consoling Rick Flair, some of the security officers are in, and I don't know how they can be proud of what they have just done. So here was the ultimate poker game. Tully Blanchard, the dealer, Dusty Rhodes, the riverboat gambler, playing for the gold and the girl inside a steel cage. It's obvious this is for all the marbles, the world television title, and baby doll. And it's obvious that Tully Blanchard's in the fight of his life, and fighting like he is. So much bad blood between the American Dream Dusty Rhodes and the world television champion. Wait a second. Baby doll is giving him something. She has given him that elbow pad. We've seen that elbow pad before. She gave it to him. No! No! Dusty Rhodes. There's the pile driver. That's it. Right when you thought the elbow pad could make a difference, he countered the pile driver. The American dream. He's the winner. He is the champion. The American dream wins the match. Baby doll cannot believe it. She cannot believe it. Dusty Rhodes, and he gets Baby Doll for 30 days. Baby Doll belongs to Dusty for 30 days. Well, you heard it from the ring announcer. Dusty not only wins a world television title, but he gets Baby Doll for 30 days. He grabs her and is pulling her along. There he goes. 
Well, Gordon, Jim Crockett Promotions' Great American Bash proved to be one of wrestling's finest hours. It certainly did, Bill, and that's why professional wrestling is known as the king of sports. The Great American Bash spawned multiple generations of both national and territorial professional wrestling, from the NWA to WCW to the WWE. The classic pay-per-view series was host to some of the most shocking moments in the history of professional wrestling. Staying true to one of pay-per-view's most critical components, the element of surprise, the bash fit the bill so well. Perhaps the bash was a fitting rechristening of this pay-per-view prior to its cancellation. Since 1985, this event has staged some of the greatest moments that have left generations of fans wondering what actually hit them. Tonight, we'll discuss some of the greatest moments and matches in Great American Bash history. We already discussed the first bash, but over the years, it evolved, leading to the most recent incarnation, a part of the WWE. In 2004, we saw JBL win the WWE Championship. In one of the most ironic occurrences in the history of professional wrestling, John Bradshaw Layfield became nothing short of a Cinderella story. Layfield went from a content mid-card tag team wrestler known simply as Bradshaw under an Acolytes Protection Agency APA gimmick, the Brawling Partners. He went from that brawler to, in his own words, a pro-wrestling god. John Bradshaw Layfield, or commonly and famously known as JBL. His new gimmick was an overbearing Wall Street billionaire who makes the million-dollar man look like, you can say, an amateur. JBL was a beneficiary of the WWE going into emergency superstar mode, you could say for lack of a better phrase, after realizing it had stacked the deck over on Raw following the 2004 WWE draft. Leafield took the bull by the horns, pun yes intended there folks, and his quick rise to the top of the WWE culminated with a championship win over Eddie Guerrero at the 2004 edition of The Great American Bash. Layfield's billionaire gimmick worked because it was basically JBL playing himself. The hard-nosed brawler, known for his toughness, branched out into a successful career in finance. In fact, JBL was so proficient in the field that he became a regular panelist as a financial expert for Fox News programming and has even written a best-selling book on finance. Putting the pieces together, it's no wonder JBL was able to have the best run of his career with a gimmick that seemed ill-fitting to the naked eye. That run was closer to a marathon. He reigned as champion for 280 straight days.
I'm gonna walk how I wanna walk, say what I wanna say, how I wanna dress. Well, John Cena is a proud American. You're an embarrassment, disgrace to the U.S. title. You compete against Rene Dupree, Rob Van Dam, and Booker T. being attacked by the Steiner's Dogs. Yes, the Steiner's Dogs. The Great American Bash made its name in the NWA-WCW days. However, while WCW was on life support, so to speak, the event was unfortunately left helpless as its drunk uncles embarrassed it on a grand stage. As part of yet another overbooked finish in the short-lived Vince Russo era of WCW, Sting did the job to the dog-faced gremlin Rick Steiner in 99, when he was attacked, yes, by dogs. Even Scott Steiner got into the action. This would be the final bash pay-per-view held by WCW before the company folded, and for good reason. The scene exemplified everything that had become wrong about what was the once white-hot promotion. There was the awkward use of multiple camera angles to manipulate the situation, And while this angle did indeed create shock value, it was of the bad variety. Who wants to see an animal become part of a feud? And as a heel, no less. What's the the comeuppance on this, you could say? Nothing. The dog-faced gremlin was laid flat, and so was WCW, as they were eventually, of course, out of business. Chavo Guerrero turns on Rey Mysterio. The story of 2005 was the untimely death of Eddie Guerrero, one of the most charismatic and beloved superstars in professional wrestling history. Just a few months later, at WrestleMania 22, Guerrero's close friend Rey Mysterio captured the WWE World Heavyweight Championship. Rey embarked on a formidable run as champion, being billed as an underdog champion who never backed down from a challenge. However, At the Great American Bash in 2006, Ray's unlikely title run would come to a sudden halt at the hands of Chavo Guerrero, Eddie's nephew. Just months prior, Chavo was the only individual who seemed happier than Ray himself after Mysterio's historic win at WrestleMania. All signs pointed to a Chavo heel turn when Chavo's attempts to do his uncle proud continuously paled in comparison to Rey Mysterio. Having Chavo turn on a longtime family friend of the Guerreros during Mysterio's match with King Booker after he wasn't implicated in the storyline was a nice twist that led to a very productive King Booker championship title reign. J.J. Don't don't get ahead of yourself. What you have here is the Four Horsemen united live in exciting color right here on national television. The Rock is back and the impact was felt all around the wrestling world. And now that the Anderson 
brothers are back. Flair, the world's heavyweight champion, Tully Blanchard, national heavyweight champion, along with the infamous James J. Dillon. Nobody or nothing can stop what's going to happen. You know, the bash is upon us, and we've got a lot of people that think they're going to do some avenging. We'll get ready. We're ready for the bash. Rhodes, everybody else, I hope you're ready, because we're coming your way. Tony Giovanni, all I got to say is I told you The Rock was coming back. We base our credibility on one thing. We don't make promises. We don't make threats that we can't make good. The Rock's back. You want to get in bed with the big dogs? You're going to get on the critical list, whoever you are. Tony Schiavone, never let it be said that Ric Flair hasn't stood between a couple of real big men in his life. You know, all I hear about are the Road Warriors and Dusty Rhodes and Magnum T.A. Well, you guys, wherever you are, and we know for a fact a lot of you are having a hard time finding your way to the television station when you know that the horsemen are in the same building. As a matter of fact, Dusty Rhodes is sitting in Charlotte or Houston or Dallas, wherever he is, sending in videos. Well, brother, this isn't a video shop. It's a wrestling promotion, and we like to see the guys we don't like firsthand. Now, there's two other guys that have been hard-pressed to find their way here, too. The Road Warriors, you know? We're talking about Animal and Road Warrior Big Bird Hawk. That's right. <laughs> That's a good one, huh? We're talking about you. That's right, Hawk. When we get done with you, Hawk, we're going to stretch that big neck here about a foot longer, and they're going to call you Road Warrior Big Bird Hawk. You know why? Because we say so. We told Dusty Rhodes we was going to break his leg, and we broke his leg. We told Morton and Gibson they were going to get hurt, and they got hurt. In other words, this elite family has got the distinction of doing what they say they're going to do. So whether you like it or not, learn to love it, because we're going to be here for a long, long time. One more short note. If there's a woman in the world that's between the age of 18 and 28 that's not wearing a training bra that wants to find out what a real man's all about, then girls, what's causing all this? Yeah. The four harshmen together and coming up right after this break, a pre-recorded videotape interview with the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. Dusty Rhodes wins the NWA Championship from one underdog champion to another. The American Dream, this common man with a physique that only a chef could love, captured the NWA Heavyweight Championship from the legendary Nature Boy Ric Flair inside of a steel cage at the Great American Bash of 1986. The ensuing celebration scene sold the win as a momentous occasion, as this common man was now firmly supplanted as championship material during one of pro wrestling's hottest periods. The shock would not end in the Greensboro Coliseum, though. This is where Dusty captured the prestigious title. Just one month later, Dusty's longtime valet, Baby Doll, turned on Rhodes, helping Ric Flair regain the championship. You know, David Crockett, it's understood by now that Ole Anderson, one of the four horsemen, is back in seven, eight, nine years of my lifetime has been spent 
waking up in the morning with a toothache or a black eye or stitches in my face at the hands of Ole Anderson. And that's fine. Because the same time I was waking up with a little heartache, with a little serious pain, he was waking up with twice as much serious heartache and serious pain. And the four husband Tully Blanchard, Ian Anderson, Ole Anderson, James J. Dillon, and the nature boy Rick Flair, it brings to mind one thing. At the Great American Bash, this country's capital, Washington, D.C., is a very place in my heart because that place is where it's going to happen. Rick Flair, you come out here and can talk about 13 other guys, 13 other men, and not a one of them has wore the gold around the waist one time, much less two times. Dusty Rose has two times world's heavyweight champion. And Ronald Reagan, you and Nancy better get your seats. And Delvin and Joe Ely, I want a rocket and socket. Because in Washington, D.C., the American dream becomes world's heavyweight champion for the third time. And the four horsemen can take that to the bank. Bill Goldberg turns heel in an overhyped event that was supposed to shake the foundation of pro wrestling as we knew it. Bill Goldberg revealed himself as the culprit behind such a bold statement when he cost Kevin Nash the WCW championship at 2000's Great American Bash. Goldberg, who had been the top babyface in the company for years, was going on a run parallel to that of the Ultimate Warrior. After losing his first match to Kevin Nash in a memorable Starcade main event in 1998, the Goldberg character noticeably lost steam. WCW's idea for reigniting the Goldberg character was to turn this enigmatic good guy, this monster, into now a monster heel. Goldberg sealed the deal by spearing Kevin Nash, helping the hated Jeff Jarrett retain the WCW Heavyweight Championship in the process. Again, the year 2000 was the final year of existence for WCW, and this could be one of the very reasons why. Goldberg is here! Thank <laughs> you. 
be the shocker. And this is shocked that to me. I can't think anything more shocking than this, can you? Is it, is it possible, dare we say, that Goldberg is... What's Goldberg going to do now? Look at the face of, of Bischoff, the face of Russo. No smiles, there's concern on their face. What is going on? Someone explain to me what's going on. God, no, after everything else, tonight... Bischoff said tonight, he said if Goldberg shows up, the surprise is off. I don't want him here. that we are hearing right now. What's Goldberg saying to him? What can he say to him? He's not apologizing. Goldberg! What are Bischoff and Russo going to do now? What, what, what is this standoff? What does this mean for World Championship Wrestling? Vampiro set Sting on fire. Sting was on fire in 2000. Well, literally, 2000's Bash event saw the legendary WCW mainstay lose a human torch match. Yes, a human torch match where a torch was one of a handful of items featured on a pole. Yes, on a pole as a result of a Vince Russo influenced product. Sting unfortunately lost this match to Vampiro, who for what it's worth, is perhaps one of the most underrated professional wrestlers of all time. And in a sense, Sting was now on fire. It was really a stuntman in place of Sting, but it was another unnecessary angle during the dying days of WCW. Lex Luger wins the vacant WCW championship. 1991's much-hyped Great American Bash event resulted in Lex Luger winning a vacant WCW heavyweight championship. Why was it vacant? The reason behind vacating the championship places Luger's title win over Barry Windham in 1987 in the top five. In 1991, Lex Luger was slated to face Ric Flair for the big gold WCW Heavyweight Championship, now in full effect. Days prior to what looked to be a monster main event, Flair was fired by WCW because of contract disputes. The firing landed Flair in the WWF. For the first time in his career, Ric Flair kept the actual big gold belt. And, in classic Vince McMahon fashion, Flair was encouraged to promote the competition's belt on WWF television. 
As a result, WCW was forced to use a makeshift championship, one of many backstage changes that turned the chaotic 87 pay-per-view into a disappointment given the circumstances. And in turn, Lex Luger won the vacant WCW Heavyweight Championship. Steve McMichael joins the Four Horsemen. Say what you will about celebrities in wrestling, but nobody books celebrities in big angles like WCW. David Arquette aside, of course, there was a period in WCW history where it was able to not only bring in celebrities, but they also advanced its own angles on major shows like The Tonight Show with Jay Leno and Mad TV. One of the more successful celebrity angles featured former world champion Chicago Bear Steve Mongo McMichael and five-time pro bowler Kevin Green. These two natural babyfaces, they love football in the South, of course, battled super buddies Ric Flair and Arn Anderson. At the match's most pivotal moment, when Green reached to McMichael and asked his football buddy to hand him a briefcase, McMichael shockingly whacked Green over the head with the object. This heel turn would earn McMichael a cozy spot as a featured act in the newest incarnation, or reincarnation, you could say, of the Four Horsemen. And McMichael would go on to enjoy a relatively long career in professional wrestling, in celebrity speak, that even saw him become a regular commentator. Initially going from commentator to then superstar in WCW, even becoming United States champion and full-fledged member of the most illustrious group in professional wrestling, the Four Horsemen. And it all started at the Great American Bash. Like he used to say, money makes the monkey dance. They are fighting, they are going at it. They got the macho man down, Kevin Green, still in a situation out there. Hey, what is Kevin Green trying to turn this figure four over, but can he? Excuse me. What is this I, right I have, here? I have no idea. Who is that? Is that Deborah McMichael? She, she doesn't have the bear's uh, coat on. What, and what's, what's in the case? What is going on here? I have no idea. Mungo, what is going on here? Give me a break on this. What's she saying here? The, meanwhile, the figure four is still on here. What are they doing here? That's a four horseman shirt. And it's money. It's a lot of money. It's, boy, is that ever... Oh, give me a break, McMichael. Use your head here. That was a $100. Kevin Green in the middle of the ring with a lot of pain, blues, and agony putting on him. Just turned it over. He's looking for a tag. Look, Kevin Green looking for a tag. Screaming for Mongo. Mongo, drop it. Mongo. He hit Kevin Green. What the hell is going on here? Kevin Green is out. Led by their head coach, Bobby Heenan, the nature boy, Rick Flair, the enforcer, Arn Anderson. Going after the macho man, Randy Savage. What is, look at this. And Kevin Green is still out, Arn Anderson, Rick Flair, stomping the macho man, Steve McMichael's got the case full of money. It's loaded with money. And a horseman's shirt. And there are four of them in the ring. Don't tell me what is going on here. Heenan calling the shots. Oh, the Halliburton to the head. Ladies and gentlemen, we have seen a startling, shocking development Unbelievable. I give up on this. That's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Apparently, Steve McMahon.
McMichael, the only thing I can say is call it from what I see it. Apparently, Steve McMichael. No! If he, oh, get loose from that. With the money is the fourth horseman. And there's Deborah McMichael. There they are, fans. Take a look at it. Money talks. Money talks. Man, I tell you, we need to take a hardcore look in this country of what really makes it all worthwhile. This is stupid. Can you believe this? Man, I'm they beside have, myself. They have sold their soul for the money. And it's like McMichael said, he, he shakes the hand of Enon. You're kidding. I mean, the man that he battered with for so long on Nitro, Bobby he shakes his hand. Hey, Bobby and, Heenan said this plan out to well, me. It's like Steve told me. I said, why did you jump ship to the Packers? He said, money? Yeah. Well, there it is again. Yeah. Well, you see right here, Kevin Green giving it all he had, knowing he's not a wrestler, but come in here full force just to drive it. Got his knee taken out from under him. The nature boy, Ric Flair, then put the figure four. Kevin Green had it turned over. And you see the money in the case, the horseman shirt in the case, and you see right here, Mongo McMichael become maybe the fourth Horseman as he leaves the ring with this unbelievable this ruts my stomach. Unbelievable. Brother, I'm an old man, but I guarantee you one thing. This is unbelievable. Well, ladies and gentlemen, away from me. There you see the Macho Man going down, and this is absolutely incredible. Incredible events. Hornswoggle wins the WWE Cruiserweight Championship. There are many creative ways to tell your fans that you are that, well, that you'd really no longer care about a championship title. Upon her WCW debut, Medusa threw the WWF Women's Championship into the trash on live TV. Scott Hall shot the television title into a trash can like a basketball after he won it. Then there's Hornswoggle, the anti-adult little person surprising cruiserweight championship victory over Chavo Guerrero in 2007 at the HP Pavilion in San Jose, signaled the end of an era and the end of the WWE taking cruiserweights seriously, so to speak. Many people dislike Hornswoggle because he's too PG. He takes away from the product, in a sense, some say. His presence is enough to be considered as a condescending superstar to an entire generation of fans who grew up in the Attitude Era. So at the Great American Bash, you could say that WWE put a stamp, the final stamp of defunct on the WWE Cruiserweight Championship. I personally hope it comes back. The Undertaker turns on Paul Bearer. 2004 saw the return of the dead man, as it was the first time in years that we saw the Undertaker as the Dark Phenom character, instead of his three-year audition for you could say, Sons of Anarchy, where he was known as the American Badass. In addition to the return of the classic Undertaker, Taker's longtime manager, Paul Bearer, was by his side for a fresh run with a legendary gimmick that has continued to this very day. However, the conclusion of 2004's Bash at the Beach saw a perplexing turn of events when the Undertaker fresh off conquering the Dudley Boys in a heated feud, turned on his longtime manager. During the early days of the draft extension, where they had the two separate brands of Raw and SmackDown, the Great American Bash was a SmackDown event. The stipulations of the main event at that year's Bash event stated that should The Undertaker lose, Paul Bearer would be cemented in a glass crypt. 
The Undertaker won. However, Paul Bearer was cemented in a glass crypt by The Undertaker himself. The strangest, the, really the strangest part in all this was that The Undertaker remained babyface. He gave very little explanation for his actions and continues to be one of the most unbooable and most popular superstars in the modern-day era in WWE. What about poor Paul? The late, great Paul Bearer was a part of this very strange angle, which initially people thought would turn The Undertaker heel, but you can never, now at this stage of, of the man's or the phenom's career, turn him bad guy. So in a sense, this angle was dropped altogether, but a memorable moment in Great American Bash history relating to the late, great Paul Bearer. You know, Tony, like I was telling you earlier, Baby Doll had real bad luck last week. Did you know that? What's that? A, a guy broke into Baby Doll's apartment. She yelled, rape! He yelled, no! And <laughs> Baby Doll, you are ugly. And that's why nobody wants to be around you. But I'm going to introduce to you a couple of guys who everybody wants to be around because they're the best in the world. The World Tag Team Champions. Loverboy, Dennis, and beautiful Bobby, the Midnight Express. Baby doll off my mind. I bought a used car last week. I found baby doll's dress in the back seat. Take a look at that. Take that home to your wife, Tony. I got a little piece of videotape I want everybody to see. I'm ecstatic to show this thing. It's the greatest thing ever. Roll the videotape. If anybody's awake, I want to find a monitor. I want to see it. Show it to me right now. Come on. Okay, What's let's, with you people? let's take a look Wake at that up. tape. It's not such a Mickey Mouse operation around here. You can't hey, get the camera on me. That's a safe shot every time. Let me tell you something, baby doll. I am sick and tired of hearing you run your mouth, hearing you go on about what you're going to do to me, hearing about your friends. Come on, show the tape. I want to see this All right, tape. let's go to the tape right now that Jim Cornette is talking about. Thank God that I am physical conditioning personified. <laughs> we got one more. Th- I can hear the question in everybody's mind saying, Cornette, you may be built good, but baby, can you wrestle? Well, let me tell you something. That's why this goof, Mokey, standing in the ring right now, Randy Mokey. Hey. I'm going to show all you rednecks my best wrestling skills. Milky, take your best hold, baby.
look on the face of the American that's dream the really says it you've all. you've ever seen in your life, America sent its modern-day John Wayne, the American dream, Dusty Rhodes into the ring to take care of Big Bubba. He took his best shot, and he couldn't get it done. He took the saloon chair, but he couldn't run the big man out of town. That's one of your friends, baby doll. You're talking about all your friends. You got the Rock and Roll Express as your friends. You got America's team. You got the Road Warriors as your friends for the great American bashes. But I got Big Bubba. I got the Midnight Express. And you're not going to make a fool out of me in those bashes, doll. I'm going to beat your brains out. Fans, we'll be back right after this timeout. To all the wrestlers over the years that have said they've got my number, I would have left this great sport years ago. But the bottom line is, and it's really difficult at times, for the wrestling fans or the sports fans around the world to accept the very bottom in this sport. And that is this. If you are the best at what you do, then you win at any cost. And myself, Ric Flair, just like the Los Angeles Lakers, will repeat one more time. Think about it. Now, I'm not standing out here in a bicycle shirt. I'm not wearing a good American Bash t-shirt. The sports world and the wrestling world know what's taking place. The Great American Bash, Baltimore, Maryland, July 10th, Lex Luger, the physical phenomenon, the man that the experts are saying is going to beat Ric Flair, the man that in Baltimore, Maryland, and let's put this in the right perspective, there are over 9 million people worldwide that'll be watching this on their television screens. There'll be 15,000 people in Baltimore, Maryland. And when I walk that out, when I break that curtain, woo, look at as old as I can look. Luger, now think about it, Lex Luger. We're talking about three weeks. You, my friend, have got to walk that aisle. You've got to fulfill the dreams of a lifetime. You've got to become one of the chosen few. you got to beat the reigning, the reigning world heavyweight champion. There's only one. Jim Crockett Promotions. The National Wrestling Alliance make me the bottom line best wrestler in the world today because I am the world's heavyweight champion. Baltimore, think about it, Luger. Nine million people. The world will be watching to see if in 60 minutes, if in 60 minutes, you can become the very best there is. Now, starting tomorrow night in Orlando, Florida, all my friends, the Road Warriors, think about it. You stand out here, all painted up, talking about life or death. For anybody that follows wrestling, read the magazines. Ask your friends, Ric Flair, Art Anderson, Tully Blanchard, Barry Windham, and Jim Dillon are the nucleus that make our team go round and round. And each and every night of every bash, we will put our credibility and our careers on the line. 
We've had stitches. We've had broken bones. We have paid the price individually and as a team. And I'm saying right now, Luger, starting in Orlando tomorrow, or Chicago, or Pittsburgh, you aren't going to make it to Baltimore because you're going to have to pay God's price for walking around Baltimore. And if you make it to Baltimore, pal, look, look at what you have to beat. The very best there is. Ric Flair, the world heavyweight champion, the great American bank. This was a part of the Facebook feedback by you fans and SNS members and co-hosts. The war games of all the match innovations that WSW came up with, one has stood the enduring test of time. The brutal multi-man conflict inside two steel cages, surrounded by yet another steel cage, made for some of the greatest matches in company history. The very first war games took place at the 1987 Great American Bash, pitting the heel team of the Four Horsemen and J.J. Dillon against Dusty Rhodes, the Road Warriors, Paul Ellering, and Nikita Koloff. Dusty and his boys won the match to close the show, or, you should say, won three of them, as WSW ran the bash three times in three different cities that year. A new legend was born from that point on. Many variants on the multiple cage formula would follow suit, including the Tower of Doom and the Elimination Chamber, but the original is still the best and is about due for a return. It has to be. Come on. WWE most recently released the War Games Best of DVD. And maybe you don't want to have an additional ring in place because you would lose on the total gate in the arena, but the match was innovative, and for a one-night event, wouldn't it be great to bring it back? Truly old school. The War Games concept. The Legion of Doom, the Road Wars, you came back and you did exactly what you wanted to. Just like we always do, David Crockett, we come back from a tour from Japan. We come back with a fire under our cans like never been before. We came back here and we kicked the Barbarian and we kicked the Warlord's butt from one end of the stinking country to the other. And then when it came time to sign the dotted line, on the night of the Skywalkers, I guess the Barbarian and the Warlord aren't the men we thought they are because they took their tail between the legs and they ran. But you, Paul Jones, you consider yourself the powers of pain. You consider your mind the powers of pain. So you got Isla Koloff to go to Russia and you bring back some six foot eight, 350 pound Russian. Well, we're going to see just how bad he is when he falls flat on his stinking bald head from 30 feet up in the air, ain't we, Hawk? When the kitchen's too hot, you get out. Well, that's what the warlord and the barbarian did. They got out. That separates the men from the boys. Boys, you know something? I was a man the day I was born. The doctor slapped me, I slapped him back, and I took the nurse on a date. You punks are just what we said you are, punks. So, Paul Jones, you go out and try to find yourself some real men, and you take a good look at us, and you realize we're the last ones left. 
Hey, Paul, understand in Chicago on the ninth, there's going to be a tournament for the world six-man tag team title. That's right. We're looking forward to that, David, because those six-man titles were stolen from us by you, Paul Jones. The bottom line, the truth of the matter is you're a devious in the... In in, insidious individual, Paul Jones. You got something under your sleeve, and we're going to figure out what it is. The Great American Bash, taking America by storm. More action to come right after this. Chris Benoit versus Kevin Sullivan. The sordid story of Chris Benoit and Kevin Sullivan has been told many times, many different shows, but not really by WWE, in a sense. The pair began feuding over an alleged spat of adultery between Benoit and Sullivan's wife, Nancy. But the life really ending up imitating art and of the feud, so to speak, went from behind the scenes to in front of the cameras. The match between Benoit and Sullivan at the 96 Bash served as the culmination of their feud, a vicious Falls Count Anywhere brawl that saw the pair beat the heck out of each other all over the arena. Complete with an unscheduled trip into the women's bathroom, the two battled ferociously. The two would continue to scuffle for nearly a year afterwards, but the 96 Bash match, one of the first Falls Count Anywhere brawls in wrestling history in the popular modern-day era, is really the main match that defined this feud. Let me just say this. Anybody out there that had the privilege of seeing this? Well, we're going to keep her here. He'll be back. He'll be back. He wants to get Sting in there. I haven't said thank you in 10 years. Thank you, pal. Now the bottom line is, K-Funk, we just started, pal. We just got warmed up. I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to dog you until I wear your Texas ass out. All right, fans, there you see the altercation. After it was all settled, after everybody was separated, we got Terry Funk a little bit sane to make a comment. Here is what he said about Ric Flair. I'm Terry Funk. I want to make a plea to you simple-minded people to look after the animals in this world that are almost becoming extinct. I'm talking about the whales. There's only a couple of hundred thousand of them. I'm talking about the wolves, where there's just several thousand of them. I'm talking about the polar bears in Alaska. I'm talking about the whooping cranes. And I'm talking about the most endangered species in the world. What is that species? The most endangered species is a funker. That's what I am. There is just one of me. You see, I am an individual and I am an athlete. Nobody owns Terry Funk. No organization, no corporation. I do what I want to. And I told you people it wasn't going to be the glory days in Baltimore. It was going to be the gory days. And that's exactly what they are. 
is the glory days. I took Ric Flair and I beat on him and I took away his pride. I took away all of his honor. The only thing that I didn't get from Ric Flair is that NWA World's Championship belt. And that is exactly what I am going after. You see, I do what I say. Whenever I say something, I mean it. So you simple-minded people watch me become the new world's heavyweight champion. Quite obviously, ladies and gentlemen, the situation with Nature Boy Ric Flair and Terry Funk is far, far from over. We will address this situation in depth right here next week on Superstation TBS. We will hear comments tomorrow night at 6.05 on the main event from both Flair and Funk about their altercation. As I said, it is far from over between Funk and Flair in the NWA. Sting versus Muda. The man called Sting had a number of brutal feuds during his long WSW career, but the one that pulled the most juice for fans of high-flying wrestling was his late 80s battle with Japanese superstar Keiji Muta, a.k.a. the Great Muta. The acrobatic Muta is widely regarded as the innovator of the moonsault, the flipping body press that opened the door for other high-flying maneuvers, and his feud with Sting made the brutal face-painted Asian a bona fide star, especially in North America. Sting at the time was holding the then-precious WWTV title, and Muda wanted nothing more than to snatch it away from his waist. At the 89 Bash, the two fought for nine minutes, with Sting getting Muda in a back suplex with a bridge, the ref counting three, but both men getting their shoulders up at two. The title would be declared vacant, and the feud would continue for months, but this signified a high point in the television title division and really got Muda over as a bona fide North American star. What a great feud. We will surely discuss their battles in our famous feud series. Top quality athlete, his name is Sting. Flashing right into Jerry Price and then the Scorpion. Now David Crockett at ringside with the one and only Sting. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, the Stinger. And I see all the other stingers out there. Yeah, there's a few stingers out there, all right. You know, they're howling too. Let them get in close. It's just like this, though. Ah! Don't forget to use the hands just like that so everybody can hear it. You know, let's talk about the best of the pay-per-view. Pay-per-view. You can buy it and get it in your own home. They have more fights in your living room than I had, let's say, in my living room. A long time ago when I was having fun. You know what else I did, David? What's that? I went out and bought a little portable TV, you know, just in case. You see this right here. July 10th, the big bash in Baltimore, where, yes, the total package, yeah, it's going to do the number to the nature world. But anyway, getting back to my portable TV, I bought it and thought, I'm going to have my cable hooked up to this thing, too. And I thought to myself, what am I doing? I'm, I'm in the thing. That's right, you are. I guess Arn and Tully, yeah. I'm in it and I can't wait. And if you come out there and buy one of these shirts, I swear to you, they'll have them in sizes that fit. See this thing? The bicep, the bicep just kind of wants to pop right out of there. Oh! Some people out there don't like the stinger too much. Might say, well, he's got an extra small on. Ha! 
It's a double extra large. How's that? Oh! <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, that's the stinger. The Great American Bash starts tomorrow in Orlando. Hang on. The Undertaker kills Muhammad Hassan. Poor Mark Copani. The tall, well-spoken professional wrestler paid his dues in the minor leagues before being called up to the WWE and given a gimmick that would live in infamy. Muhammad Hassan, the Italian-American portraying a bizarrely controversial, you could say, heel character of an Arab-American tired of being stereotyped as a terrorist. However, his manager yelled at the crowd in Farsi, and at one point he had a gang of masked jihadis perform a simulated beheading of The Undertaker. So there's a mixed message there, you could say. His feud with The Undertaker lasted through most of 2005, but massive public protests resulted in the character being killed off, so to speak, with a brutal match at the bash. As This is when The Undertaker powerbombed him through a ramp and onto a concrete floor, through the ramp, through the entranceway, onto the floor. He was never seen again. And there really hasn't been any desire for either himself personally or the character to return to wrestling. We saw his manager, Sean Devari, a.k.a. Devari in the WWE, move on past this point to, to manage the great Kali and wrestle as well himself in the WWE and in TNA. And you could say part of his career will always be, or you could say oh, will always have that stigma of the Muhammad Hassan character, which was officially killed off at the Great American Bash. Oh, no, oh, no, I hope he doesn't. Oh, not this. Oh, no. Oh, no, not this. This is not the ticket. Don't do this, man. Oh, no. Oh, not this, not, not this already. Oh, oh, oh no. Hassan up high. you got to be kidding me. Stop this. No, 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 no. God. A last ride. Rick versus David Flair. 2000 was a very weird year for WCW with the turn of the millennium further cementing Vince McMahon's dominance, with the turn of the millennium further cementing Vince McMahon's dominance over the wrestling world. The powers that be at Turner resorted to ever more ludicrous moves to try to keep WSW afloat. One of the bizarre feuds that the New Year saw was Ric Flair versus his own son. The pasty-faced David joined up with Booker Vince Russo in his quest to rid the world of the old... Fogies, you could say, the old school billionaires club that ran the company into the ground, and the first ever Flair versus Flair match was one for the history books, but not in a good way. After interference from Brother Reed and Mom Ashley, David went down to his dad's patented figure four leg lock. To be the man, you have to beat the man. And David turned out to be just a boy on this particular night. Booker T beats Chris Benoit. One of the most talked-about storylines in late WCW was the bitter feud over the television title held by Fit Finley. The number one contendership was a major bone of contention between two of the company's long-term aces, Booker T and Chris Benoit. They held a best-of-seven series to, to really determine who would challenge for the title. A run of matches widely recognized as some of their best. The 1998 bash featured the very last match in the series, with both competitors tied with three wins apiece. Embarrassingly, one of the hottest feuds in WSW, with some of the best wrestling the company has ever seen all year, was put into the curtain jerker position. This didn't deter either man, though. 
They put on a 15-minute wrestling clinic that ended with Booker nailing a missile dropkick on Benoit from the top rope and becoming the number one contender for the WSW television title, which he would win from Finley later that same evening. To compare the two errors of TV title history, we just spoke about the Sting Muda confrontation at the TV title heyday, and you could say at this point was the resurgence of the TV title division in the popular attitude era, the, the mainstream era in wrestling history. And it all culminated at the Great American Bash, bookend to bookend for Booker T, in a sense. And when we return, we'll cap off our discussion of the Bash by looking back at quite possibly, arguably, the greatest match ever in Great American Bash history, Sting versus Nature Boy Ric Flair. No amount of money, not even precious metal, can substitute because freedom is a constant struggle. It's pain and sacrifice. It's NWA wrestling at its best. Now you can get the Great American Bash 1988, the price for freedom, on video cassette. Over two hours of action from Baltimore Arena and other Bash locations across the country have been compiled to bring you the best of the Bash 1988. Witness the first ever Triple Cage Tower of Doom match, where the Garvins tag up with the Mighty Road Warriors and Dr. Death Steve Williams against Games Master Kevin Sullivan and his band of destruction. Ten of the most powerful men in wrestling climb the colossal structure only to rock their way down to precious freedom in a dangerous struggle for love and honor. Freedom doesn't come easy for manager Jim Cornette as he hangs high above the ring in a straitjacket, a helpless observer to an explosive tag team title match between the Midnight Express and the Fantastics. Plus, it's teacher against student as the American dream Dusty Rhodes fights to regain the U.S. heavyweight title from the newest member of the Four Horsemen, Barry Windham, and the ultimate nature boy, Ric Flair, five times NWA World Heavyweight Champion, takes on his toughest test to date. The total package, Lex Luger, who's hungry for the kill. Plus, much more. Don't miss the best of the Great American Bash 88, the price for freedom. Every man must pay the price, but only a chosen few can survive. Reserve your ringside seat for the hottest event of the summer. To order your Bash 88 videotape, just get your credit card ready and call toll-free 1-800-257-1234. Or send $30 plus $5 postage and handling to Bash 88, Box 7500, Atlanta, Georgia. Sorry, no CODs. Operators are standing by now, so call 1-800-257-1234. For NWA wrestling at its most explosive, call 1-800-257-1234 and order Bash 88 today. Sting and Flair main evented the first ever Clash of the Champions event on TBS. It went head-to-head with WrestleMania IV. While that match was not as good as the Steamboat Flair classics, you could say it easily outclassed anything that was on the tournament-based style pay-per-view WrestleMania IV. Any tournament match that took place during the event couldn't even compare to the confrontation between the two. But what truly makes this match worthy of the title greatest match ever in the history of the Bash, arguably, it's really the context and the energy of the crowd that made this match what it was. At the time, Flair had been champion for over a year. Sting had been getting shots at the world title since that clash match in 88. But it was mid-1990, and it still wasn't his. Some say he would have had it earlier, but an injury sidelining him for a few months kept him out of the title picture. But finally, after so much waiting, so much anticipation, Sting, the man considered 
overdue to win the world championship was facing Flair, a man considered one of the greatest ever already by that point. Jim Ross and Bob Cottle, they were talking up the idea of legendary superstar legend versus underdog in this matchup. At this point in his career, Flair had at least a decade on Sting. He was wrestling in the 70s, winning world championships in the early 80s, main eventing Starcade after Starcade, starting with the first one in 1983. Public opinion among critics usually says that Sting was made a star by his 45-minute draw with Flair in 88. So Sting had arrived on the wrestling scene in 88. He truly made it by that point, a full five years away from Flair beating Harley Race in a cage for his second world title. It's amazing when you compare the career that Flair had at that point as Sting was just being catapulted to the main event status. While Flair's career was far from over, in fact, at that point, he was the very identity of WCW. It might have been considered a kind of a passing of the torch, in a sense, to the brand new star in The Man Called Sting. Some say that this match ended one of the greatest golden ages in terms of quality, total wrestling quality, and the quality of the wrestling programming you saw on cable television. The golden age, in some some fans' eyes, was this era in professional wrestling. WCW was flawless throughout the early 80s in terms of booking. Their match quality and roster was unparalleled in a sense. One of Flair's and WCW's greatest years was 1989, with Flair feuding with Steamboat and Funk throughout the year. Sting feuded with the Great Muda, like we mentioned. Lex Luger feuded with Brian Pillman. The top three singles championships were held by Flair, Luger, and Sting. The world, U.S., and television, respectively. All three superstars were in their primes at that point. Some just felt Sting hit the tip of the iceberg with his potential. By the mid part of 1990, due to poor booking and a lack of heel challengers for new champion Sting, WCW started to decline. Then, thanks to the incompetence of administration, Ric Flair was fired in 1991. Truly, beginning it was the beginning of a dark era in WCW. It will last until at least the formation of the New World Order, possibly five years later. All this is the backdrop to this match. Great American Bash, 1990. This match perhaps had one of the most one-sided stipulations of all time, all in the favor of the babyface due to repeated four-horsemen interference. The dudes with attitudes were comprised of the junkyard dog, Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff, and the Steiners, and they all surrounded the ring during the match. In addition, Ole Anderson was handcuffed to El Gigante. The match lacked interference until the horsemen had the obligatory run-in, or they came down near the end of the contest. They wound up fighting with the dudes with attitudes on the outside. One of the little details, one of the, you could say they're, a minute point when looking at the match, but really makes the whole essence was the commentary and the call by Jim Ross. A little note, he said, he started the commentary for the match with stating, some say it's irrelevant, but I think it what makes, it's those little things that make matches so special and makes professional wrestling what it is. I'm a stat guy, I love stats, and when you can implement stats, it just, it legitimizes your sport, entertainment, business, 
organization, what have you. Jim Ross stated that there have only been, at that point, two people that won the NWA World Championship at the start of the decade. It's a, you could say it doesn't really matter. Who cares? But it's those little things that make a match even more important when you're watching it on TV or inside the arena, witnessing and feeling the electricity of the crowd. The story of the match was that Flair was going for the figure four, working on Sting's leg, while Sting was periodically and then seemingly randomly no-selling some moves and then selling others to allow Flair to get the heat. That might be the only complaint one would have when recapping this match, but there really was no rhyme or reason to when Flair's moves would have no effect on Sting and when they would. Sting had the ultimate warrior sense, his former tag team partner, where he would no-sell everything for no apparent reason. But you could say the electricity of the crowd, the adrenaline, what have you, the man called Sting overpowered the nature boy. But what makes this story, makes this match truly work was its fabulous finish. While both groups were outside brawling and the crowd in Baltimore was going ballistic, Sting tries a stinger splash on Flair. With Flair ducking out of the way, Sting hits his knee on the turnbuckle. GR yells out, his knee! Flair began working on Sting's leg, and now it was exposed. In case you weren't paying attention, Flair visibly cackled and yelled something that sounded like, it's mine! Those little details, again, making it even more special. He then went for the figure four, which Sting reversed into a small package for the one, two, three, the pinfall victory. Sting was the new NWA World Heavyweight Champion. The finish wasn't unique, but the story leading up to it made it so special. Steamboat did the same thing to beat Flair a year earlier. Some say that finish alone made this decision a curious one as well, but you can critique it any way you want, the crowd went absolutely crazy. It was so effective because, for, for multiple reasons, you could say for multiple reasons, it was a monumental title change coming after a year of waiting, that build. It was at WCW's second biggest pay-per-view of the year, and it was Sting winning the title. It was an upset. It was the face of Flair looking to have certain victory, and, most importantly, the Baltimore crowd erupting, perhaps like no other crowd had they'd ever seen before, with possibly some minor exceptions, the crowd went crazy. Ross brought the whole thing home by underlining the match's story, saying Sting has shocked the world. Sting has upset Ric Flair. And while many would simply roll out of the ring after a defeat, Flair simply moved to the other side of the ring and looked defeated and disgusted while Sting celebrated with his other babyface pals. A star was born even further that night, legitimizing Sting as a main eventer and world champion. Irish whip. Sting now. Again, a stinger splash! And he got him with it!
Got headlocked by Flair. Head scissor by Sting. Sting the bridge up. Look at the strength of the challenger. He's got both arms tucked. Can he get him over? Flair on his shoulders. One, two, one. And we were, we are inches. We are talking inches from a new champion of the world. Look at Flair chopping with all he's got. And the challenger is standing tall. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. The High Spots Wrestling Network is proud to partner with Beyond the Bell and is offering my old school fans one free month of the largest independent wrestling network. Using the promo code BTB in all caps, new accounts will gain access to over 2,000 hours and counting of premium wrestling content. The High Spots Network features top worldwide promotions such as PWG, Progress, Rev Pro UK, WXW, and WSU. Start your free trial today of the High Spots Wrestling Network. You're listening to the Retro Wrestling Podcast, Beyond the Bell. You can listen to Beyond the Bell on iTunes, Player.fm, the SNS Radio Network, Podbay.fm, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and our official website, BTBcast.com. Connect socially on Facebook and Twitter at BTBcast. Watch retro videos on our official YouTube channel, BTBcast Network. Questions, comments, and suggestions can be sent to contact at btbcast.com go old school with beyond the bell just hearing the name of the event the great american bash was enough to get me excited as a pro wrestling fan such history Coming out of this event, originally created as a tour, it morphed into one of the biggest pay-per-view events of the year for World Championship Wrestling. Before there was a bash at the beach, there was a great American bash. Like I mentioned at the beginning of the program, the WWE would bring only one pay-per-view event over from WCW after their acquisition. Some thought they would bring the Starcade legacy over, or some were rooting for the war games, and a lot like myself were hoping for Halloween Havoc. But it was only one event, and that event was the Great American Bash. This was at the time of the brand split, so it was a SmackDown only special. Then as the WWE increased its global presence even further, they decided to drop the Great American portion off the event so that they didn't limit themselves to just an American or national fan base. 
They wanted to go international, therefore they renamed it The Bash. Then it dropped off the pay-per-view calendar, and then a few years ago it was brought back as a special on SmackDown. Nevertheless, The Great American Bash will go down as one of the biggest events in professional wrestling history. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Research content courtesy of Soli's Vintage Wrestling, the history of WWE.com, the Mid-Atlantic Gateway, the PW Torch, and the Wrestling Observer. Plus, articles from Kayfabe Memories. Audio courtesy of YouTube, WWE.com, and the WWE Network. Well, my WCW fans, we continue on covering the history of the promotion. And on the next edition, we cover another one of my favorite events of the pay-per-view calendar. At times, it was my absolute favorite. The next installment will be broken up into a three-part series as we look back at the history of Halloween Havoc. We kick off part one on our next edition of Beyond the Bell. So until then, my retro wrestling fans, this is your old school host, personal independent ring announcer, Sean Beckerman, signing off. Thanks for joining us on this edition of Beyond the Bell. Remember to always keep it old school, my friends.